Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Well, hello again. Good morning to everyone. It's really lovely to have you with us, whether it's for the first time or whether you're joining us as part of Riverside Church family on a weekly basis. My name is Keely, and together with my husband, we lead the amazing team here at Riverside Vineyard Church in Whitstable. This week has seen the end of our 14-day isolation period where we've been working at home because our son Jonah had COVID-19. He came home to be with us. Um, Well, Jonah's made a full recovery, which we're really thankful for, and he's gone back to Portsmouth and will be starting back on the wards tomorrow. We loved going back to Riverside on Friday to see the team, and really, me and Simon and Tina have had very few symptoms, and so if we have had COVID-19, it's been really mild. So we thank you for your prayers and your love for us as a family. We really do appreciate it. The pantry project at Riverside has been going great as food has been going out to those in need. We have had food come in from all different sources and we're really grateful for that and for all the work that Chris Cornell, our local councillor, has been doing on that. We just keep trusting God to fill our jars of oil and to keep them overflowing and please pray that for us because there's nothing else we've got, only the provision of the Lord to help us in these times. Can I encourage all of you, I mentioned last week about the legacy video. If you haven't watched it, I would really encourage you to do that. There's a great prophecy at the end by Carol Wimber and I think you'll be really inspired. You can click on the link in the email um, or just head over to the YouTube channel, the Vineyard YouTube channel and you'll be able to watch it there. We really miss you. I miss you. Miss seeing you all on a Sunday, but we love you. We're praying for you. Really hope you gain something from the service this morning. Hello and welcome back. Uh, good to see you again. Well, I can't see you, but you can see me. Welcome back to our online series, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, it's good to have you back with us today. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, what it means to find that secret place in prayer. And then also, once we come into that place uh, with God in prayer, what it means to be honest. We looked a couple of weeks ago at lifting the lid and inviting God inside, into the fullness uh, of who we are, into all that, that mess and, and humanity, uh, and just knowing that God's comfortable uh, with that honesty in the place of prayer. Well, today I want to look at, um, at being vulnerable in the place of prayer. I want to start with a quote from Philip Yancey, and he says this, The very word prayer comes from the Latin root precarious, a linguistic cousin to our word precarious. We pray because we are vulnerable and we can't help it. And that's the author, Philip Yancey. The word precarious, as you know, it means shaky, uh, unstable, uh, uncertain. And um, when we were uh, a young family, we would often holiday down in Dorset uh, in a place called Swanage. And Swanage is a bay with headlands on either side. And um, we'd often in an evening walk over the headland and down into the next bay and uh, just enjoy the, the beautiful views. But there were some quite high cliffs there and the cliff path went very close to the edge of the cliffs. And there were these sheep that lived there on the edge of the cliffs and seemed to be completely oblivious to the precarious nature of their footing. They would run around very close to the cliffs. They'd even seem to run down the cliffs sometimes. And uh, our middle son, Jake, got very nervous about us being close to the edge 
and about these sheep getting close to the edge because we, we all seem to be in a, a precarious position. And when we think about prayer, we don't tend to think about ourselves uh, in a precarious position. But Philip Yancey says there in that, in that uh, quote, he says that actually that place of, of uncertainty, uh, of vulnerability is a real birthplace for prayer. Most of us haven't seen that kind of prayer modelled to us, though, in our experience, maybe in church or in family situations. A lot of the prayer we see modelled to us is more, much more stoic. It's much more uh, reserved and much more tempered, you could say. Um, it has a certain respectability about it and it's uh, more suitable for hushed, uh, reverent environments. And so... The way this affects us when we come into our own place of prayer is we can find it hard to let our guard down. We can sometimes it's difficult to be ourselves just in the place of prayer because we can view coming into prayer, into God's presence, almost like going to the headmaster's office or or going for a job interview. It feels like we have to be on our best behaviour. Yet in the life of Jesus, we see a real honesty and vulnerability in the place of prayer. In Hebrews chapter 5, um, verse 7 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Jesus' prayer life echoes that vulnerability that Philip Yancey talks about. His prayers come with with fervent cries and with tears. And he gives us a model of what it is to fully express our humanity in the place of prayer. When I first began to pray, um, I felt sort of embarrassed at speaking out prayers. My prayers were a bit more like the sort of excuse me you'd hear when asking someone to move in a supermarket queue rather than those loud cries and fervent cries that Jesus brought to his loving father. I cried like an apologetic, I oh, sorry, I prayed like an apologetic, excuse me, and Jesus prays like a drowning man wanting to be saved. And maybe your experience of prayer is a bit like mine when I started out. Maybe prayer has always seemed a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing to you. Jesus shows us that to be vulnerable in the place of prayer is to fully engage with all of our emotions, all of our feelings, to bring our whole being into God's presence. The word vulnerable means to be exposed or weak or, or helpless, to lay ourselves open. And these words aren't always descriptions that sit easy with us. We talked a couple of weeks ago about that pot analogy about lifting the lid and inviting Jesus in, in trying to come with honesty into God's presence. And we could extend that cooking pot analogy today. I haven't got it with me, I'm afraid I'll have to return it, but let's imagine that pot's here. And that pot, that structure, can also symbolise some of the structures or boundaries that we create that prevent us having to be vulnerable or fully open with God or with other people. We create all sorts of different things, whether it be structures or mindsets, to prevent us from having to experience vulnerability. And we fashion those over our whole lifetime. Maybe in our early years, it's to do with our, maybe our physical 
presence, our sporting ability, maybe it's to do with our, our career or our achievements or our academic ability, maybe it's our wit, um, maybe it's a, a whole host of things. These things become a shield that protects us from having to fully reveal who we are. I want to show you a video clip today from a lady called Brené Brown. Brené is a research professor uh, at a university in Houston. And um, back in 2010, she was invited to give a talk on her research uh, to, a, to an audience there. And she'd been looking into what, what is it that helps people connect with each other. So let's watch this video and we'll come back and talk about it in a moment. So very quickly, really about six weeks into this research, I ran into this unnamed thing that absolutely unraveled connection in a way that I didn't understand or had never seen. And so I pulled back out of the research and thought, I need to figure out what this is. And it turned out to be shame. And shame is really easily understood as the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people know it or see it, that I won't be worthy of connection? The things I can tell you about it, it's universal. We all have it. The only people who don't experience shame have no capacity for human empathy or connection. No one wants to talk about it, and the less you talk about it, the more you have it. What underpinned this shame, this I'm not good enough, which we all know that feeling, I'm not blank enough, I'm not thin enough, rich enough, beautiful enough, smart enough, promoted enough. Um, the thing that underpinned this was excruciating vulnerability. This idea of in order for connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, really seen. And you know how I feel about vulnerability. I hate vulnerability. And so I thought, this is my chance to beat it back with my measuring stick. I'm going in. I'm going to figure this stuff out. I'm going to spend a year. I'm going to totally deconstruct shame. I'm going to understand how vulnerability works. And I'm going to outsmart it. So I was ready, and I was really excited. As you know, it's not going to turn out well. Um, <laughs> you know this. So I could tell you a lot about shame, but I'd have to borrow everyone else's time. But here's what I can tell you that it boils down to. And this may be one of the most important things that I've ever learned in the decade of doing this research. My one year has turned into six years. Thousands of stories, hundreds of long interviews, focus groups. At one point, people were sending me journal pages and sending me their stories. Um, thousands of pieces of data um, in six years. And I kind of got a handle on it. I kind of understood this is what shame is. This is how it works. I wrote a book. I published a theory. But something was not OK. Um, and what it was is that if I roughly took the people I interviewed, and divided them into people who really have a sense of worthiness. That's what this comes down to, a sense of worthiness. They have a strong sense of love and belonging. And folks who struggle for it, and folks who are always wondering if they're good enough. There was only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and the people who really struggle for it, and that was the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. And to me, the hard part of 
the one thing that keeps us out of connection is our fear that we're not worthy of connection was something that personally and professionally I felt like I needed to understand better. So what I did is I took all of the interviews where I saw worthiness, where I saw people living that way, and just looked at those. What do these people have in common? And I have, I have a slight office supply addiction, but it's another talk. Um, so I had a manila notebook, a manila folder, and I had a Sharpie. And I was like, what am I going to call this research? And the first words that came to my mind were wholehearted. These are kind of wholehearted people living from this deep sense of worthiness. So I wrote at the top of the manila folder. And I started looking at the data. In fact, I did it first in, this very four, in a four-day very intensive data analysis where I went back, pulled these interviews, pulled the stories, pulled the incidents. What's the, what's the theme? What's the pattern? My husband left town with the kids um, <laughs> because I always go into this kind of Jackson Pollock crazy thing where I'm just like <laughs> writing and, and going and kind of just in my researcher mode. And so here's what I found. What they had in common was a sense of courage. And I want to separate courage and bravery for you for a minute. Courage, the original definition of courage, when it first came into the English language, it's from the Latin word cur, meaning heart. And the original definition was to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. And so these folks had, very simply, the courage to be imperfect. They had the compassion to be kind to themselves first and then to others, because as it turns out, we can't practice compassion with other people if we can't treat ourselves kindly. And the last was they had connection, and this was the hard part, as a result of authenticity. They were willing to let go of who they thought they should be in order to be who they were, which is you have to absolutely do that for connection. The other thing that they had in common was this. They fully embraced vulnerability. They believed that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. They didn't talk about vulnerability being comfortable, nor did they really talk about it being excruciating, as I had heard earlier in the shame interviewing. They just talked about it being necessary. They talked about the willingness to say I love you first. The willingness to do something where there are no guarantees. The willingness to breathe through waiting for the doctor to call after your mammogram. The willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. They thought this was fundamental. I personally thought it was betrayal. Um, I could not believe I had pledged allegiance to research. Where our job, you know, the definition of research is to control, control and predict, to study phenomenon for the, reason, for the ex explicit reason to control and predict. And now my very, you know, my mission to control and predict had turned up the answer that the way to live is with vulnerability and to stop controlling and predicting. This led to a little breakdown. <laughs> which actually looked more like this. Um, and it did. It led to a, I call it a breakdown, my therapist calls it a spiritual awakening. 
Well, I've watched that video many times and every time I hear about Brené's spiritual awakening, it really makes me smile because what Brené uncovered there, unknowingly initially through her research, was this abiding truth that vulnerability is absolutely essential to living a wholehearted life, to experiencing that sense of wholeness. And if the honesty we talked about a few weeks ago is about being truthful about how we think and feel, then vulnerability is having the courage to reveal that we are not perfect in so many different ways. And in the place of prayer, vulnerability means letting God see us as we really are. Now you might find the thought of vulnerability in any sphere excruciating, just as some of the the people that Brené interviewed did, that sense of if people really saw me and really knew me, that the thought of that is just excruciatingly painful. You might carry that fear into the presence and the place of prayer with God. You might think that if, if God somehow knew you as you really were, he would reject you. But God wants us to come fully into the place of prayer and to be fully known by him. The author C.S. Lewis said this. He said, let us lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And what uh, C.S. was saying there, he was saying that so often we think we have to put something on for God, but yet God sees us all. We've said before that God doesn't get surprised by us. He doesn't get shocked by us. He knows who we are. He knows what's in us, what we're experiencing, what we're thinking. But what he wants us to know is the real power, the transforming power of being vulnerable before him. So I want to give you today a few thoughts, a few pointers to help us grow in the place of vulnerability in prayer. And the first one is this, very simple, start small. Start where you are. Don't try and start where you're not. Begin to try to express your feelings, all of your feelings to God. Um, I find the easiest place to do this is somewhere where you're not going to be overheard, somewhere where someone's not going to suddenly (laughs) be listening or watching. Um, We're all self-conscious about that to some degree or another. So we need to find a space where we can just be real before God and not be worried about who's watching or who's looking. There's that phrase that, you know, dance like no one's watching. We need to pray like no one's watching as well. We need to Find a place, maybe in a car, maybe um, going for a walk or on your bike or in the shed or in your secret place. Somewhere where you can just be real and open and vulnerable before God. It's really important to begin to express ourselves. Because as we do that, we get over that initial embarrassment that we feel when we begin to bring ourselves fully to God. Embarrassment really undermines vulnerability because embarrassment is linked to shame. And shame is linked to that fear of rejection. So as soon as we start to feel embarrassed, we start to sort of clam up and shut up uh, because of the fear that overtakes us. But little by little, if we express ourselves, we become more vulnerable and more open, then that embarrassment shrinks back. And that rejection that we talked about, gets that sense of rejection gets smaller. And the way to do this is to practice telling God all the stuff. All the stuff, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the messy stuff, being vulnerable and open before him. And if you find it hard to vocalise this, well, maybe you start just by journaling, by writing things down. And if you're worried about people finding your journal and reading all this stuff, then you can download an app off the internet or for your phone. 
There's so many journaling apps out there that are password protected, so you can put your thoughts in there without fear of anyone reading um, all those innermost journeys that you're on. And what we're trying to do with this first step is trying to get what's inside outside. We're trying to externalize um, more of ourselves. We're trying to make more of what is unseen about us seen uh, in, in the presence of God. That's the first thing then. Start small, start where you are, begin to express. The second one is very simple as well. Just use ordinary language. Don't try and use God words. Don't try and use fancy words. Don't try and formulate your prayers before you begin them. Just begin to speak and converse with God. I know many people struggle with prayer because they think they have to formulate their prayers in a certain way, use certain words or certain phrases. I want to give a shout out to Kai this week because we've been having our Alpha course um, on Zoom over the past few weeks and just meeting together on a big Zoom call and just chatting about where we're at and just chatting about, about faith. And this week, uh, at the end of the Zoom call, we always pray. And so this week we said, who wants to pray? And Kai said, well, I'll pray. I've never prayed publicly before, but I'll pray tonight. And Kai prayed these beautiful, uh, authentic, heartfelt, humorous, down-to-earth prayers. And I was so blessed to hear them. And I was probably, I was thinking of God just smiling and his heart being warmed by the by just the beauty of these simple, authentic prayers that she prayed. There was such sincerity uh, in those prayers because they, they were prayers that Kai would pray. They weren't prayers that she tried, tried to take from somebody else or, or, or something that was unauthentic. And I'm sure by, that by doing that, Kai has grown massively in her, in her prayer experience. By stepping out and choosing to get into that stretch zone, uh, she's going to have grown through that. And as she does that more and more, the easier she'll find it to pray. And the more we do, the more we externalise and, and, and pray, the more our inside prayer life and our outside prayer life blend and we find ourselves naturally switching between the two throughout the day. And, and it becomes very normal for us to pray uh, internally and externally, just using ordinary language. So keep it simple, use ordinary language. And the first thing I want to talk, the third thing, sorry, is embracing weakness. Growing in vulnerability, it means being willing to let go of who you think you should be and embrace naturally who you really are. With all those inconsistencies, all those failings, all those things you know about yourself. Jesus wants to push past our coping strategies into the real us so he can begin to do that transforming work of life within us. When we become more vulnerable in God's presence, we realise where we end and where God starts. And that really helps us um, to sort of throw our lot fully in with God. In the story of Peter the disciple, we find a, a man who was always over-egging you know, his, his ability to deliver. He desperately wanted to appear confident and robust and courageous and utterly reliable. And yet he over-promised, he under-delivered, he came short in many ways. And in Jesus' most crucial time of need, he deserted him and he denied him. Jesus wasn't surprised or shocked by any of this. Uh, in fact, after his resurrection, he met with Peter and uh, he, res he restored him and he commissioned him into a life of sharing the gospel. Jesus knew that Peter was about as solid as a marshmallow. <laughs> Peter wanted to be the rock. He wanted to be the, the solid one, but he knew 
Inside he was anything but, and Jesus knew that too. But he declared that he would build his church on the rock that was Peter. And we're all like Peter. We're all trying to be rocks on the outside, but really we're all squishy and marshmallowy on the inside. And uh, Jesus knows that. That's the good news of the gospel. He knows what we're really like. He, he sees past our facades. And he wants us to know that he knows what we're like so he can come into his presence just being who we are. And as we come into prayer in vulnerability and we confess our marshmallowiness, if you like, Jesus loves us and accepts us. And uh, if we've messed up, he restores us just like he restored Peter. He wants to dig you and I out of those traps of shame and fear of rejection. And he wants to pour his love and security into us to give us confidence in ourselves with, within Christ. So we live a life from that centre, not from a centre of shame or embarrassment. We said before the gospel can make you bold and humble. It can make you bold because you're confident in God's love for you. And it can make you humble because you know more than anybody how much you need God's grace uh, and acceptance in your life. And so when you embrace weakness in prayer, you're embracing all those precarious parts about you, the, un the shaky parts, the um, uncertain parts, the helpless parts, and you're bringing all that to God. And you're crying out to Jesus to save you. You're crying out from a place of authenticity. So start small, use ordinary language, embrace weakness, Number four is bring your whole self. What do I mean by that? Well, there's many examples in the Bible of Jesus bringing his whole self into the place of prayer. We've already looked at him shouting and shedding tears in Hebrew 5. And in, in the, the accounts of him in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed, we see him again just prostrate in the place of prayer, crying out in anguish. When Jesus prayed, he brought his whole physical self to pray. He lifted his hands, he knelt, he got on his face, he cried out. There was no mind or body separation in the place of prayer with Jesus. And the way we position our bodies is really important to increase our openness in God's presence and in prayer. When the psalmist wrote in Psalm 95, Come, let us bow down, let us kneel before our maker. He meant just that. He encouraged us to use our bodies as an expression of worship to God. And if you read your Bible, you know it's full of people kneeling and bowing and falling prostrate and crying out and dancing and doing all sorts of physical things in response to God. Yet somehow, I think a lot of that has been lost in the Western church. We lose sight of the fact that God wants us to bring our whole selves into the place of prayer. Now, I'm not saying you have to go wild in the aisles. I'm not saying you have to become a crazy extrovert. But somehow, if we look at the life of Jesus, we see a man who was fully integrated. There was, no, there was no demarcation between his thinking and his physicality. He brought his whole self into the place of prayer. And we need to practice bringing just more than our minds when we come to pray. So if this week, if you've never knelt uh, before in prayer and you are physically able to kneel, why not have a go? Why not, as an act of vulnerability, kneel in your place of prayer if you've never opened your hands when you've prayed if you've never lifted your hands if you've never closed your eyes again these are all expressions of vulnerability we open our hands in expectation 
that God wants to come and be with us and give us his Holy Spirit. But it's a risk. We're, we're saying, God, I'm, I'm positioning myself in readiness for you to come and meet me. I'm making myself vulnerable before you. Initially, these things might feel strange to you, particularly if you've never done them before. You might feel silly. You might feel embarrassed. Um, you might think, why am I doing this? That sense of shame might come creeping back in. But the truth is that Christ has set you free. And that freedom extends to your whole being. You, you are able to fully express all of who you are in the place of prayer. And these things that you're doing and practicing, you're going to take forward into eternity. I don't know what you think heaven's like, but I think if you read the accounts we have in scripture, we have this incredible sense of celebration and engagement with God in worship. I personally don't like dancing. So for me to go to a wedding reception that has a disco, not my favorite place. So you'll usually find me sitting on a chair, chatting away to someone with a drink and not really, you know, throwing great shapes on the dance floor because I'm not particularly good at it. So uh, I'll be there having a chat while everyone else knocks himself out on the dance floor. But I don't think heaven's going to be like that. I don't think it's going to be all the extroverts bouncing up and down and, and being and physical uh, you know, in one place and all the introverts propping up the spiritual bar or standing around the edge wishing they could dance. I think we are called to be fully alive and fully present with God. And that starts here and now. That starts with us expressing and bringing all of ourselves to God when we come into his presence, whether it's in worship or in the place of prayer. So don't get hung up on your personality type, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Just begin where you are. Begin this week saying, God, how can I bring more of myself to you in the place of prayer? Number five. Number five is a bit tricky at the moment because number five is let people pray for you. And that's kind of hard because we're not meeting together as a church at the moment. But when we do and when you... When you put yourself in that place of closing your eyes and just allowing people to come and pray for you, that's a real vulnerable place. And it's a fantastic place of growth because when you put yourself in that place, you're putting yourself open before God and before people. And again, some of you have, might have never responded to a call to ministry. You might have thought, that's just a bridge too far for me because what's going to happen? You know, I've, I've got to, you know, will someone pray for me or be left standing on my own? Will Will, what will God do? What will I say? What will happen? And you might have all these fears about what might happen in the place of ministry. I don't know if you've ever played that game, the trust game, where you close your eyes and you just kind of do this and fall backwards and you have some people catch you. And you have that heart-stopping moment as you just go past that centre of gravity and you start to fall. You think, is anyone going to catch me? And then hopefully, if they're your friends, they will catch you. And it's a, it goes from being terrifying to being elating, that sense of, of being caught um, by people. And that's a little bit like what stepping out to receive ministries like. You know, you have that sense of, oof, you know, I'm putting myself in a very vulnerable place here. And you have all those questions about whether you should do it. But when you put your trust in God to express himself through other people in that way, you have this incredibly powerful encounter with God, an incredibly powerful connection with people. And so I'd really encourage you again, if you have chance, this week and there's people in your house maybe who can pray for you or just make a little note next time we get together as church when we gather I'm going to make sure I respond uh, to that ministry call I'm going to put myself in that place of vulnerability so I want to experience God's blessing and I want to grow in intimacy okay the last one guys is uh, number six be thankful 
The Bible tells us to pray with thanksgiving. That's in Philippians 4, 6. And Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer and be thankful. Why does expressing thanks help us grow in vulnerability? Well, because when we do it, we're expressing appreciation for for our lives, for, for all, the, all the parts of our lives, the, the good bits, the bad bits, the, the bits we think are perfect, the bits we know are imperfect. We're bringing all that to God and we're saying, God, I see you in it all. I, I, I recognize you in it all. And I want to thank you for how you've made me, uh, where you've placed me, all the things that are around me. And, we, and we, that allows us to see the beauty uh, in the ordinary of what God has placed us in. Sometimes we, we spend a lot of time looking at other people's pretend perfect lives and that's the life I want. And it makes us feel so dissatisfied with where we are now. But actually, um, by giving thanks for everything, including the imperfect, including that sense of, God, I, I just thank you for it all. It helps us grow. It helps us recognise that God's in all the stuff, the messy stuff, the simple stuff, the good stuff. As we thank him, we deepen our trust again with him and, we, and we, we're saying, God, even though I don't fully understand it all, um, I trust that you're in it and I, and I know that you're for me. I know that you love me. Okay, so let's, let's just sum up today's talk. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the place of prayer, we will become more alive. We, we become who, more of who we're supposed to be. We, we stop trying to control God and control other people and we embrace all those all those don't knows that life is full of you know we just don't know we don't fully understand if we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable what happens is we just tend to numb ourselves to some level or we keep ourselves so distracted or so occupied that the real us never really catches up with us we're always trying to run ahead so that the real person that we are that we know has all these inconsistencies and failings and imperfections we never allow that person to really catch up with us. We keep ourselves one step ahead. But the problem is, guys, we can't just numb one part of our lives and not numb others. If we numb vulnerability, if we avoid vulnerability, then we will numb joy um, and that sense of, of, um, of, of value and worthiness that Brené Brown talked about. To be the wholehearted people that we want to be, we have to allow God in. We allow God in and we begin to be okay with God seeing all of who we are. And when we become more comfortable with God seeing who we are, then we become more comfortable with other people seeing who we are too. And we become more secure in God's love and more secure at letting people into our lives. Our ability to love other people to love our neighbour is directly related to our ability to love ourselves. And we can't love ourselves fully until we've come to that place of acceptance and security in God, knowing that we're inconsistent, knowing we're like these marshmallows on the inside, knowing that we can, we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. And when we come to fully love ourselves and fully accept ourselves in God, then we can then begin to fully love and accept those around us. The good news of the gospel is that God doesn't wait for us to get ourselves sorted out. He, he right at our point of need, right at our point um, of being helpless, of being in a precarious position, unable to save ourselves, Jesus comes to us and says, I'm able to save you. I know you, everything about you. I know all the mess, all the stuff, but yet I love you and I'm able to save you and bring you into a, a life of fullness.
So we start our walk with Jesus in vulnerability and he wants us to continue in vulnerability with him, just as Jesus modelled to us when he walked the earth. We bring all the parts of who we are to him and we deepen our relationship of trust and love with him. You might be feeling incredibly vulnerable at this time. Maybe you feel like you're perched on a cliff edge like those sheep I talked about right at the start, precarious, unsure of your footing, unsure of the future. In a moment, Tina's going to play a worship song for us. And uh, maybe during that song, you could just open your hands and close your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to minister his comfort and his love to you, to bring refreshing to your soul. Allow Jesus to show you that when you put your trust in him, he puts your feet on solid ground, secure ground, a solid footing. Maybe today you want to, maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life. Maybe today is the day when you think I'm going to, in an act of vulnerability, I'm going to open the door of my heart and I'm going to invite Jesus in. And all you have to say to Jesus, I want to receive your life into my life. I want to receive your love. I want to trust that you have a future for me. I want to trust your love and your grace for me. So as we think about that and as we come into land today, let's just pray and bring all this to God. And then as Tina plays, maybe just use that as a time. Maybe you want to kneel today for the first time. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you want to bring more of yourself into God's presence in vulnerability. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know everything about us. We don't need to pretend to be something that we're not. We don't need to pretend to be someone else. We thank you that, um, Lord, you come to us and you give us your love. You know, God, the good and the bad. God, you know all things inside us, God. And you want us to come to you in vulnerability, just as we are, to receive your love into our lives. God, we pray again today for everyone involved in serving us during this time of pandemic we pray for the government we pray for the nhs we pray for the authorities everyone working hard god and serving god so graciously we pray your protection and blessing and grace and comfort upon them in jesus name and father would you fill us would you keep us connected would you inspire us and i pray your holy spirit would fall in every home today every person watching this would experience a sense of your presence and a sense of your love and God, would you come and would you root out fear and shame? And God, would you fill us with your love and your hope and your security? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>